Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss, oh, a bunch of stuff. Remember back in the days between X-Men 66 and Uncanny X-Men, well, I guess it wasn't then, 94, Giant Size X-Men number one? Do you remember that, Jeremy? I do remember that. We did all those stories that everybody raved about that we just filled in the gaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were good times. Good times. So we're, we're going to try to do that with what happened between, I don't know, the last couple of issues of X-Men down here on Earth before the next issue of X-Men. And it'll be just like the old days. And if you people like this format, we're really looking for feedback on this one. Call it your mutant interlude. So uh, where we left off, the uh, the professor was depressed. Well, yes, he was depressed. Not only that, though. The X-Men were in sp- are in space. Right now, they are in space. Well, according to this chronology. And Wolverine has pointed out that there's one person on Earth that possibly has a queen embryo. That person is... The professor. Well, right, exactly. It's gotta be. <laughs> so let's... That's what, he, that's what he said. Oh, is it? <laughs> no spoilers there? No, no. All right. So let's let's just... Yeah, let's jump down to the planet's surface and... And just dive right into the New Mutants, Marvel graphic novel number four. Indeed. This one has a cover date of 1982. It's on sale September 7th of 1982. This one's called Renewal. Retailing. Did you tell what the retail price of this thing was? Uh, no, I didn't. But it, it is uh, $5.95. Mine says four ninety five. You must be looking at the Canadian one. Oh, it could be. could be. <laughs> Yes, the Marvel graphic novel format. Actually, mine's a fifth printing, so maybe that's why. Oh. Hmm. Bigger format, thicker pages, higher quality coloring. Yeah, different, totally different style of coloring. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we'll go through Bob McCloud's art throughout these first few New Mutants, but uh, in this one... I don't know. His art really stands out because of the maybe because of the inking and the coloring. Yes, this one is uh, by Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud. Lettered by Tom Orjakowski, colored by Glynis Ween, and edited by Luis Jones and editor in chief Jim Shooter. The origin for those of you who who never knew it, me included, uh, of the New Mutants. They're new. And they're mutants. <laughs> they are. I have a. Maybe an obvious question, I'm not really sure, but what do you think the origin of the name The New Mutants is? Well, um, the obvious answer is that uh, they they didn't want to call this the X-Men, and these guys are new, and they're mutants. <laughs> and may, maybe it also has something to do with, like, you've heard the story that Stanley had, and it was that he originally wanted to call X-Men The Mutants. Yes. So maybe it has something to do with that. Okay, I mean, yeah, I think the latter, because, I mean, to call a comic book The New Mutants that features a batch of new mutants is just a little on the nose, don't you think? It is. It's pretty silly when they start calling themselves The New Mutants. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like that. I mean, spoilers, (laughs) I mean, I I read these uh, all, and um, they never really refer to them, like, the professor isn't like, and you shall be known as The New Mutants, and you will go forth and be students. But at some point, yeah, they do like, we new mutants must stick together or something like that. It's really right. silly. 
Um, but so yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, and I've never really read up on this, and I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it's just as obvious as that. This is just an homage to the original title of the X Men: The New Mutants, or The Mutants. This being the New Mutants, but I mean, they should have really thought ahead because you know, 36 issues into this, they're no longer new. <laughs> they're the old mutants. <laughs> now let me tell you a little anecdote about the New Mutants. When okay. I was growing up, I was a big fan of the Thundercats and the Mumra's little cadre of villains. I think they referred to them as mutants. So whenever I went to the comic book stand and I saw the name, the new mutants, I was always kind of hopeful that maybe it's a batch of, of Mumra's new cadre of evil guys. (laughs) And were you sorely disappointed (laughs) when you opened them up? (laughs) I never opened them up. I I never really thought that far. I was just like, Oh, the new mutants. I wonder if that's Thundercats related. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, took me a while and found out it wasn't at any rate let's open this thing up and find out what it's all about well what do you think of the cover oh sorry about that um it's good it's a good classic i don't know it's good it's good not really nothing to stellar it's no um i almost i'm i'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do like an homage to x-men number one but at the right. s- same time almost a little disappointed <laughs> What do you think they're all so angry about? Um, Because they're all looking at us. They're like, buy our damn comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Are we that hideous? (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe Bob McCloud's like, these are the in-your-face teenage mutants. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, Sunspot especially looks quite angry. (laughs) We open up, I mean, we get basically uh, a nice uh, set of origin stories for the new mutants that we have yet to meet. Uh, and this first it, one kind of confused it, uh, me. Why did, why did it confuse you? Well, it's, it's, uh, so it's Wolfsbane. It's Rain is her name. She's a 14-year-old girl who turns into a wolf. Uh, but, I mean, Moira McTaggart's like, oh, look. Or they all, oh, the, the people with their torches, like chasing her, these Bible thumpers. Like, are these guys on Muir Island or are they just somewhere in random Scotland? I think they're somewhere in random Scotland. Oh, okay. I don't know. Just this this whole setup here just kind of confused me. It seemed like everybody kind of knew, like, this is Kincrossland, Reverend Craig. You're trespassing. They're all talking hey. about lords and ladies and everything. I was like, what? They refer to it as the slopes of Anmarag in the northwest highlands of Scotland. Okay. So, anyways, this is very reminiscent of uh, our introduction to Nightcrawler with the church-going people with their torches. And it is, except that the professor did not confuse them all with a mind wipe, but instead Moira stood up for rain. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I got it, it's still kind of a little silly. I mean, all these guys with their torches. <laughs> I mean, why, couldn't they afford some flashlights? <laughs> <laughs> not in Scotland. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they don't use uh, flashlights in Scotland. So uh, this is the first meeting uh, that Moira has with... Um, Wolf Spain here, or Rain, uh, as she's called for now. And so she picks her up and uh, takes her, well, I guess, takes her back to Mirror Island, I guess. Or maybe back to Charles Xavier, one of the two. There's one There's one place I can take her, one person who can truly help her, Charles Xavier. So they're on her way. Then we switch our attention over to Rio de Janeiro, where this handsome young boy who's uh, got, a, I guess, a black father and a white mother, he's playing some really good soccer White mother, that's his girlfriend. Oh, is it? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. I totally wow. missed the boat on that one. I mean, I realize he has a girlfriend in this issue, but I thought these this blonde-haired woman sitting next to her father was a different woman than his girlfriend. Nope, that's always his girlfriend. Weird. Because they call him like half-breed and stuff. I mean, referring like the, the white guys kind of... In, in my mind, referring to him as maybe having a black father and a white mother. But now I'm not so sure that he has a white mother. Uh, we never really find out, I suppose. We don't. Yeah, these guys are jerks. See, we've had enough of you half-breed, and then he clocks him in the chin, and he falls down, and he gets all angry. Yeah, I don't know. So so presumably his mother is uh, white. Then. I, I guess I don't know. Or they just call all black people in Rio de Janeiro half-breeds. Or they know he's a mutant. Oh, that could be. Well, if they don't they know do now, it. they're going to find I guess out a soon. a mutant really isn't a half-breed. Your father's wealth can't change the color of your skin. You're still black. An animal masquerading as a human being. This is pretty intense. Yeah, you guys are real jerks. <laughs> no kidding. So they're beating him Luckily, up. Luckily, uh, his powers, uh, Roberto's powers, manifest themselves and he turns... Even blacker than before, he turns into a dark black holeish. Guess is it, is it like supposed to be a black hole, or I guess it's supposed to be a sunspot. But I don't know. It's interesting. I've never really been too clear about. Obviously, he he can fly and he's got strength, but I've never really been clear as to like what is his body doing when he turns black. It, he's got sunspots. <laughs> he does have little spots all around. I mean, it's a neat effect. It looks great. Uh, so he punches one of the boys away and he goes flying and he's like, whoa, I'm really strong and I feel uh, strange and I'm burning up and holy crap, look at me. So, yeah, he, I see, I had the impression that he emanated heat and he does say he's burning up, but there's no real heat powers here. Right. He's not burning up the field. He didn't burn the boy that he punched. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Well, anyway, the crowd all runs away because he's now this kind of black uh, sunspotty monster except for his father attempts to run through the crowd and his girlfriend also attempts to run through the crowd and they hug and she's like, Oh, I'll help you through this. We'll get a doctor. And, um, he passes out and then we cut to a, uh, a hand mysterious at a, hand at a console. Mm -hmm. Um, more mutants are appearing every day in more parts of the world, but no matter each time one appears, I will be there to destroy him. So hopefully this isn't the professor. <laughs> well, whoever it is has a, a pink shirt and a ruffly um, sleeve. I a think frilly sleeve. Frilly. So I, we can probably guess who it is or who they're affiliated with, but we don't quite know yet. Well, I'm just imagining that somebody picking this up has never read an issue of X-Men. Oh, well, yeah, potentially. Although, Or maybe they have. More than likely they have. Uh, meanwhile, it's probably a mixture. in Kentucky, a poor boy named Sam Guthrie is following in his father's footsteps. He had himself a scholarship to go to college, but then his father died of the black lung. So now he has to be the man of the house and take care of his mama and his sisters, I guess. And so he's going, he's going to, he's going to squander all that intelligence and start working in the mines. Today is his first he's day. Got, he's got brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So they go down there and they're talking about his dad and stuff and how uh, what a guy he was and how everybody's sorry that he died. When all of a sudden the cave starts, well, caving in. <laughs> <laughs> 
And a bunch it of does, people. and uh, someone gets trapped underneath. Most people escape, but then Sam refuses to leave, and he instead is going to help out his friend, Mr. Lewis. Looks like it's going to be the end for both of them when his powers also manifest themselves, and he fires out of the cave. His legs turn into a kind of a rocket, launching him across into the forest outside of the cave. Sort of like a, a cannonball, if you will. Very much like a cannonball. It's super lucky for whoever uh, is watching on this monitor that all these mutants are manifesting their powers on seemingly the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's the same day? <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe. Because it would be interesting if they ever touched on that. Well, I mean, like three months later, none of that. It's just like cut, cut, cut. No, I'm sure it's yeah, not presumably the same day, rain. Has manifested her powers before. I mean, we don't necessarily know that this is the first time she turned into a wolf. Sure. So this and also, mystery hand is not watching rain. No, that's true. He's only watching. Um, uh, what's his face? What's his name? Roberto. Yes, Roberto da Costa. Roberto da Costa and Sam Guthrie. The guy that he saves is kind of like, "Wow, that's crazy! I can't believe it that happened." And um, Sam is wondering how he did it. He thought that his uh, it felt to him like his ha- uh, his legs exploded like a cannonball. But now he's normal and he's fine. Uh, and even his clothes are okay. How did he do that? How did that do that? <laughs> then in Medicine Bow Mountains near Sundance, Colorado, there's a Native American girl who is meditating with her mountain lion. She ulti- as you do. As you do. She ultimately gets interrupted by her grandfather, who says that, uh, blah, 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 I need you to go live with Charles Xavier. He was once my friend. And she's like, oh. I'm old, and he can help you. Yeah. I'm a white? You would send me to an Anglo? No, I won't do it. I won't go. But then we see a hologram or an illusion of two kind of juggernauty looking guys beating up grandfather. I wonder why they look so juggernauty. I don't know. And she's like, I don't. Also, why isn't that a word, juggernauty? (laughs) Juggernauty. Juggernautish. She was angry and she summoned the dream shapes, so she's not quite sure what's going on. But Grandfather is pretty sure he knows what's going on, and that's why she needs to go hang out with Xavier. Plus, he knows what's about to happen. Yes, and her her father is a blood brother to Charles Xavier. That's why... Her grandfather knows this Xavier dude, and that's really convenient. Um, <laughs> Super convenient. <laughs> but uh, she, like the other two, are not. Man- is she? She is not manifesting her powers for the first time. Yes, she does. She definitely does not control her powers, though. She and she definitely doesn't understand them. But Mystery Hand, who we now see, is uh, is watching her as well. He's just he's just scanning all over the world. Yeah, he's watching. He must me. have like a mini cerebro. He's watching mutants left and right, uh, and we see. Whatever happened to Cerebro? Um, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out in this issue, as a matter of fact. Well, oh, not good. the Cerebro, but a Cerebro. I think. Oh, okay. We might gloss over it. I don't remember. Anyways, this is in fact Donald Pierce. Astute listeners will recall that he is the android member. Android or cyborg? Uh, is there a difference? Cyborg, I think android cyborg it would be cyborg because it would be cybernetics that would be through his body 
Android or iPhone? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And for some reason, he has Tessa uh, in a machine. He's no longer with the Hellfire Club. Um, I, I guess maybe he ran away in their last adventure. Do you remember what he did in the last adventure? I thought he got his arm cut off. That's I'm sure. I I'm sure he did, but I, I mean, I think that he could have gotten. But I mean, was he a member of the Hellfire Club, or did he get kicked out? I think he got caught up, uh, kicked out, right? Or no, that was. Yeah. Didn't he try to betray uh, them and take over the leadership or something? And I think so. He got caught. All right. So maybe this is like a revenge plot. In any event, uh, the club, its wealth, its power will be mine and your beloved Master Sebastian Shaw and the rest of his muty clique will be no more than a memory. (laughs) My memory is low. (laughs) Need batteries. (laughs) Anyways, uh, flip right back to, um, uh, what's this girl's name? The Indian girl's name? Danielle Moonstar. Danielle Moonstar. And I should say the Native American girl. Although I don't believe that they have actually given us her first name yet. Uh, she's just been called Moonstar. Hmm. Okay. Well, she wakes up because she was thinking about or had a premonition about her grandfather. Either way, she wakes up screaming, Grandfather! She rides out the plains on her horse and she finds that her grandfather has been killed just like her dream vision. I will have vengeance! She is shaking her fist up at the sky. It's pretty comical. And if I know Chris Claremont, she probably does a... (laughs) That's bad, Adam. It's terrible, but, you know, that's how she's written. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, at Professor Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, uh, Moira McTaggart is wearing a costume for some reason. Well, she's got, she's worn this costume before, but now she's got a cool set of goggles. <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, Rain is there, and uh, another girl, Zian Koi Man, who we met in Power Man and Iron Fist. Well, everywhere it else, Mar- it's, no, it was uh, Marvel, it team was up? Marvel Team Up with Fantastic Four and Spider Man. Okay. But um, they, they, whenever they, someone says her name, it's pronounced Shan. Shan. Okay, you're. I like that better than Zian. Yeah. It's like she's one of the brood. (laughs) (laughs) She's from Vietnam and she possesses the power to possess people. And the professor has been examining her. Uh, And so so this is a follow-up to the conversation that Moira and uh, the professor had two issues ago in X-Men where the X-Men's – where uh, professor said, I'm not going to help her. And Moira said – well, then, oh, maybe we can give her to Magneto. Right. And so the professor wants a demonstration of her power. So Moira's like, uh, you can use me. And for some reason, she puts on like a tinfoil hat and lets Shan uh, possess her, which she does. And we find out that her ability gives uh, her also the ability to use Shan's voice, which is weird. I don't really like that but it is what it is. It's also interesting that Rain freaks out and uh, turns into a half wolf, half human, but doesn't burst out of her clothes as she normally does. Well, we'll find out later. Spoilers. She's got three forms. She's got her human form, her wolf form, and kind of her werewolf form. We're finding it out now. Well, she's she's doing it. She is doing it, but 
later on in one of the other issues, she'll say like, I can do this. This is a thing that I do. <laughs> so I guess her wolf or her, her wolf person doesn't burst out of the clothes. It's only, it's only the wolf that bursts out. Right. And well, this also kind of sets the tone for this whole character. I've never really liked, uh, rain or wolf's bane. I don't know if it's just her character design or the way she's written, but she always just jumps to conclusions and freaks out. Like right here, Shan, uh, Moira asked Shan to take possession of her. So Shan did because the professor would said he wanted to see a demonstration. Rain saw all of this, yet when Shan takes control of Moira, Wolfsbane freaks out. What have you done to her? Leave her alone. <laughs> well, that to me is just Chris Claremont. I feel like he does that all the time. People are in the panel and then suddenly they're not paying attention. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm so angry at what I just saw happen is actually happening. <laughs> yeah. So the professor mentally tells her to knock it off and we go through That's that. That's when we learn that the professor is a telepath in case we didn't know. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, the other thing about Shan's power is that when she's in possession of a person, she is still conscious and, in, and able to control her own body. Uh, but, but it's much more vulnerable, weaker. She doesn't have, She's not quite as nimble or as agile, maybe. Right. And the person that she takes over uh, doesn't remember any of it. Oh, yeah. The professor actually says, like, uh, you, in effect, cease to exist when you're possessed by Shan, which is, that's pretty freaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, they, they, <clears throat> they head off. They're about to have some lunch. Yeah, they they head off to lunch and they talk about uh, some of their their past and some uh, some kind of ethics of being a mutant and whatever. And Shan tells us about some of that stuff that we already learned about from uh, Fantastic Four and Spider Man. I guess to recap, she came from war torn Vietnam and her I believe her parents were killed and uh, she ran off with her two her. Her, her brother and her two uh, younger siblings, who I, we never meet. We met them in the new, the Marvel team-up, but we never see them again. Hmm. And uh, her brother had the same powers that she had, but he was using them for evil. And she had, to, she had to end his life. Well, she absorbed him, I believe. Oh, gee, gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she wants to be trained, and the professor's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And then... He and uh, Moira have a telepathic conversation about this whole thing as Shan and Rain uh, look on. And uh, then eventually the professor's like, all right, fine. Yeah, it's I don't understand why Moira doesn't say, you know, Charles, you could just train them to use their powers and not have them be X-Men. <laughs> uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good uh, fact there. We do. You know, eventually the professor will get there, but still. We get a reminder that the X-Men are in space right now. The X-Men were kidnapped by the alien brood in X-Men 161. Um, the doorbell rings and it's a letter. From <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm a letter. <laughs> I just got a little confused here. It's like, oh, there's the door. Shan and Rain talk for a little while. Uh, and then Moira comes in. Oh, okay. That's what happened. Moira comes in with a letter, special delivery from Colorado. And, uh, the professor's like, wow, looks like we have to, um, go to Colorado, to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> rather soon than, or sooner rather than later. So they head out there 
Uh, they they go to the funeral for I don't know Black Eagle. Yeah, uh, Daniel Moonstar's grandfather. Yep, she's not there. But out of nowhere, a crazy scene from Vietnam. The Vietnam War breaks out with helicopters and and uh, troops, and Shan freaks out. And uh, meanwhile, we uh, well, some bad guys take advantage of that and use some bombs uh, against the professor and the two uh, his two protege. But then we see that the uh, those juggernauty guys are now chasing Daniel Moonstar, who thinks to herself, "Oh no, I attacked the wrong people." Darn! <laughs> and then uh, her mountain lion friend attacks one of the juggernauties, and she throws her off. Uh, she he throws the. Uh, the, the mountain lion off a cliff, killing it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty brutal. I mean, that's the thing that Marvel graphic novels are known for, right? They're a little bit more brutal than their normal comic book counterparts. I don't know. Besides besides the first one of uh, Captain Marvel, the death of Captain Marvel, I, I never really read one. Hmm. Now I've read two. <laughs> Soon you'll have read three when we get to <sighs> the X-Men one. I know. Is that one brutal too? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> a little bit more brutal, yes. And so the juggernauty guys are possessed. One of them is possessed by karma. And uh, the one that is possessed attacks the other two and takes off his own helmet. And the professor is now able to communicate with uh, Moonstar, Danny, and says, hey, hey, don't kill the dude. We can turn him up to we can turn him into the authorities. And the, the four of them all meet and they argue. Mm hmm. For quite a while. Uh, Moonstar, she's like, I want to carve out his heart. Because he is the one, one of the ones who killed my grandfather. And the professor says, no, we should bring him to the authorities. And she says, well, all right, we can do that. But now that I, uh, she is told about Donald Pierce. And she says, well, that's the one I'm going to kill then. So I'll, I'll wait. The professor is wearing a lovely checkerboard shirt pretty swanky (laughs) it's very swanky so meanwhile in rio de janeiro moira has taken uh not meanwhile i guess it's a few days it's the next day they uh fly from colorado to rio de janeiro moira is with shan and danny they're in a hotel room um obviously they're looking for roberto uh when some police uh barge into the hotel and want to arrest them because somebody made a phone call to the da costa household inquiring about roberto and so the police assume that this person is uh, recently his girlfriend uh, juliana was kidnapped and they ask uh so so where is she you called so you must have been like asking for a ransom or something right so we're going to take you down to the station and so shan doesn't she possess one of them she possesses one of them and has her him put handcuffs on Mm-hmm. Shan and Danny, but the handcuffs are actually not locked, and uh, and then they they manage to escape uh, because she has two of the the police officers fight each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but Moira wants to be brought in. I'm not sure why, but so she feels like she can convince the police of the truth and get all the charges dropped. That's her. Plan. I'm not sure what value that has <laughs> at this point. None, <laughs> but. Uh, over at the DeCosta townhouse, we see that Roberto is escaping. He's jumped over the fence. He's running off somewhere. Uh, Danny and Shan see him and trail him. 
It's nighttime now. We should point that out. Yes, it is nighttime. Uh, Roberto goes over to a warehouse and he is being beat up by a hellfire goon. Yeah, this is one of our, uh, we know this hellfire goon. We do indeed. It's, it's either Reese or Cole, but it's one of the ones that Wolverine sliced up a while back. Actually, I think it's Wade. Is it Wade? Yeah. Hmm. There, there's a Reese and a Cole though, isn't there? There is, but maybe it's Wade Cole. Who knows? <laughs> well, there's three of them. So there could be a Wade Cole and a Reese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, Roberto went to go find his girlfriend who was kidnapped, found her. These guys are beating him up. Uh, they, they're, they're mad. They don't like mutants anymore. They call him cutie. Yeah. Oh no. They call his girlfriend cutie. Okay. never mind. <laughs> And that's when he he sunspots out and he starts throwing things around and knocking over the Hellfire goons, or former Hellfire goons. Who does he think he is, the Hulk? He goes to pick up a rock to throw it at them, but then his powers, well, he essentially runs out of gas. One of them says, we ain't normal. We, we were once till a mutie named Wolverine cut us to ribbons, near killed us. Now we're bionic, pop men, pop machine. Super fast, agile, tongue and stuff. And we hate muties. <laughs> That's right. And so after Roberto's power runs out, the, the guy, Cole, Reese, or Wade, picks him up by his hair, is getting ready to shoot him in the face, when all of a sudden he is possessed. Boy, this power of Shan's is super helpful. <laughs> Shan is awesome. <laughs> She's the only one doing anything. So she possesses him, and he starts firing. Now we do get some, like, I can't kill the people, but I can shoot around, blah, blah, blah. And that's when Danny uses her powers to make them uh, scared of their worst nightmare, which in this case happens to be Wolverine. Oh, so is Wolverine in this issue? Eh, not really. It's it's a very vicious-looking Wolverine. He's, like, drooling and stuff. He's slathering. His claws are very long, too. It's, it's kind of like a demonized version of Wolverine. So while Danny's Wolverine is tormenting, well, there's four of them now. A whole bunch oh, yeah, of there, yeah, there are four. Uh, tormenting three of them, uh, Danny kicks the one that Shan was in control of. Seems to be a thing that probably happened a lot. And Shan's like, not that one. He's my host. <laughs> oh, well, not that I couldn't possess another one, I suppose. <laughs> now you tell me. So Shan goes up to Roberto, and he's she's like, come on, let's go. Me and Shan, we're friends. And that's when he turns back into Sunspot and punches her in the stomach. Oof. Just a whole bunch of misunderstandings going on here. And the, the second guy that Shan uh, took over wakes up, and uh, because Shan no longer has control of him now that Roberto punched him out. And he's like, well, I'm going to get over here. And then he starts shooting at everybody. I'm hit, says Shan. She goes down. Um, Juliana pushes Roberto out of the way of some gunfire. And one of the Hellfire goons is hopelessly and possibly forever tormented by the vision of Wolverine. (laughs) 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 That scream, I've never heard anything like it. So he is just in a catacomb tonic state and i love how their little hellfire club masks um emote (laughs) yeah that's hilarious i didn't notice that it emotes throughout the entire this entire three-page sequence it's like shaw industries went to a lot of extra expense to make sure that they gave them lifelike masks 
when you're sad, your mask will be sad. <laughs> I don't really understand the point of this. That seems to make me look vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, their eyes and their mouth change. So Shan, she was grazed, so she's fine. It's just a flesh wound. Juliana was shot and killed. Yeah. Uh, Roberto first blames the Hellfire goons, but then says, ah, I, it was my fault. I was arrogant and stupid, and I thought my power could save her, but I couldn't. I'm a freak. So they're like, hey, let's all get together. We kind of all don't like the same guy, so let's go. Yeah, he he now also wants to kill uh, Donald Pierce. So he's like, I'll go with you and uh, fight alongside you and have the professor teach me stuff. So in uh, Cameron, Kentucky, the professor is driving a Jeep with rain in the passenger side, which seems like a horrible idea. <laughs> professor can't work those pedals. No, no, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he's doing it with telepathy. Well, remember he used to have, like he used to drive the X car. That's <laughs> true. So I, I feel like he has some sort of magic car that just works for him. So now he has a magic Jeep. Nice. Well, out of nowhere comes another Hellfire goon who seems to be flying and seems to have the same characteristics as that cannonball guy. What do you know? That's odd. It is that cannonball guy. <laughs> he knocks over their Jeep and Rain turns into a wolf and uh, runs away and the professor can't get out. Uh, the cannonball dude, uh, Sam... Uh, attempts to rescue the professor from the flaming uh, jeep. But then it turns out that he's just dragging him over to be captured by some more Hellfire dudes. Which is weird because I thought Pierce wasn't affiliated with the Hellfire. Where's he getting all these Hellfire goons from? Well, it kind of makes sense that he's hanging out with the uh, the android ones, the ones that got sliced up by Wolverine. Right. Um you know, maybe they just weren't in the loop that Donald Pierce is not a part of the Hellfire Club. <laughs> maybe. I, yeah, I'm just going to guess that the Hellfire Club hasn't gotten word out about <laughs> don't trust Donald Pierce. The, yeah, this is, this is long before email, people. <laughs> the newsletter just hasn't made its rounds yet. This guy's name is Chase. So now we have Chase, Reese, Cole, Wade, oh, and Wade. Uh, and so he drags him over to these other Hellfire goons, and uh, uh, Sam is like, "Oh, there's a girl. I want to go. I want to go see if I can check out the girl." And they're like, "Nope, we gotta go." And our our special little uh, device that looks for humans, I guess, doesn't find any humans. Mm. And she sh and Rain watches as they fly away in their helicopter, and she goes, "Ow." So this is where we get a long, drawn-out uh, description of her abilities to go from girl to werewolf to wolf to werewolf back to wolf. And this explains how she's able to jump over a fence. <laughs> Very long and drawn out. <laughs> and she she's able to follow them because of her, her uh, wolf powers. She can smell the professor. Yeah, she's like mini Wolverine. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, <laughs> spoilers, she has a healing factor. She's not as great as Wolverine's. Oh. Yeah. So she observes Pierce now with a couple of Hellfire goons. Boy, so he was, he no, he wasn't. So, no, I'm sorry. I thought he was in Rio de Janeiro, but he was not. Okay, this works. So anyways, <laughs> he is with the professor. There's a little thing on his head, the mind tap. 
uh, and that's going to inhibit his ability to use the psi powers. But more importantly, to absorb all the data stored in that marvelous brain and give it to Pierce. Yeah. Whoa. It's kind of a stupid plot. Like, what is he trying to do? Oh, I don't. He's trying to kill mutants, but... He's trying to get more power so that he can take on the... Uh, brother, I'm sorry, the Hellfire Club? It's very confused. He wants to kill all these mutants, but he also wants to take over the Hellfire Club. Yeah. Well, anyways. Uh, Wolfsbane, she's like, oh, this sucks. I better go do something. <laughs> but she, before she is able to, she, before she does anything, she gets telepathically communicated with, um, because Danny Moonstar also has a cyanic rapport with animals, and that allows her to telepathically communicate with Rain. Oh. Well, that's very convenient as well. Yeah. Well, that's that's convenience I like. Yeah. It makes sense. So, uh, Sam, Cannonball, he, he shooms up to the roof because he sees um, uh, something. Uh, he's not quite sure what it is, but it turns out that it's Rain in her werewolf form. And so he's like, whoa, what are you? But then he thinks to himself, that was the girl I saw in the Jeep, except now she's a wolf. How the heck do I recognize that it was a girl? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. It looks a lot like, this wolf looks a lot like that girl. <laughs> All furry and stuff. Well, he got to see her in the werewolf form, so maybe there was... He didn't get that close a look at her in the first place. Come on. <laughs> well, then he sees the uh, his greatest fear, which is apparently the uh, cave inn. And so he freaks out. And I, Do you think that would really be his greatest fear? No. I mean, come on. That happened like four days ago. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It'd probably be the day he lost his father. Yeah. <laughs> right? So anyways, it's not. It's the cave-in. So he goes flying off and he bursts through the, the building and he's off. More goons come out. Uh, Rain jumps on them and she's just chewing on one of their shoulders. Which crazy. is, yeah, remember that because that'll come in handy. Okay. Sunspot blows a hole in the side of the wall. New mutants jump in, I guess. Yeah, they all they all head inside. Well, Rain and Danny and Roberto and well, they're I guess they're not inside. It looks like they're heading inside, but then in the next panel they're still outside. So they haven't quite made it in yet. Yeah, Sam comes flying around and he kind of interrupts things. Um, she who's she trying to possess here? She's trying to possess. Uh, Sam? Sam, but she's too excited and scared, so she can't focus mm. her con- and, and concentrate to use her power. Yep. So, limitation. That's good. Yep. So, she grabs a gun and just starts shooting. <laughs> Which is kind of silly. Buddha, 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 Buddha. I mean, you know, she knows how to use a gun. That makes sense. Oh, there's another but, bit of convenience here where she's like, thank you, Papa, for teaching me how to shoot. Right. So. Well, they, they, you know, Vietnam, Vietnam so yeah, right. that, that, that's, that's a possibility, but... The fact that she is able to shoot well enough not to hit anybody with a machine gun, that's kind of ridiculous. It's pretty incredible. So Sunspot rips apart some machinery in an attempt to free the professor. Uh, Pierce is like, boy, I underestimated your brats. And that's when Rain jumps in and starts chewing on Pierce. 
And we get this line, the young Scott steals herself against the taste of flesh and hot blood, praying it won't make her sick and that she won't like it, only to yelp in surprise as her teeth grind against cables, gears, and sophisticated electronic circuits. And as you pointed out earlier, she was already digging into that guard's shoulder. Are you <laughs> trying to tell me she didn't draw blood then? Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's not too concerned about enjoying that blood. It's just the, the main bad guy's blood she doesn't want to enjoy. Yeah. I have no idea. So she lands at the professor's feet. She's wounded. She's hurt. Uh, Danny is falling through the window. Uh, everything, and she she lands on her butt, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Basically, everything looks its worst. Well, Well, what happens is she tries to use her power against Pierce. But for some reason, it, it backfires on her, um, I guess, because he is resistant to all forms of cyanic assault. So she is now haunting herself. That's oh, why she fell. It backfired, yeah. So she's out of commission. Rain's hurt. Uh, we don't know where anybody else is. Well, Sunspot's still there. He's, he punches his way into the door or into the building. The professor realizes that Rain has a punctured lung, but he's like... Forgive me, child, for what I must demand of you. And she, he, he tells her to start doing stuff. you got to save me. Forget about yourself. <laughs> Move to the console behind me. Pull the lever. You're not stretching hard enough. For God's sakes. Um, Sam flies in and knocks Sunspot out of the way. So it kind of takes him out of commission. But then he goes crashing into some machinery. So he's out of commission. Shan jumps in. She's about to go and possess Pierce, but Pierce shoots her with some something or other. So she's out of commission. Again, he can't be possessed, really, because he's got shields on his mind. So essentially everybody's out of commission. Um, Sam is given an ultimatum uh, by Pierce. It says either you kill Roberto or I'll kill you. And now Sam's kind of like, well, this isn't this isn't what I do. I'm having second thoughts. Well, he, he says, what do you want me to do with him, sir? And and then he says, kill him. And he's like, well, what? No, no sir. I won't do that. I, I don't kill. I'm Sam Guthrie. <laughs> I'm Sam Guthrie, y'all. And so Pierce turns all of his attention on Sam Guthrie to shoot him in the head. But luckily, Rain has pulled the lever. And now the professor is psi-attacking uh, Pierce. Yep. And they have a they have a mano uh androido. Yep. I'm sure it was a battle of the ages, but we never saw it. <laughs> Their duel is silent and neither man makes a move. Yet the brutal ferocity of their struggle can be seen etched on their faces. They're both they're both grimacing. Yeah, this this happens over the course of two panels. <laughs> and so every well, the professor I mean just like the old days, the professor saves the day at the end. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> just just like back in X-Men number one. Or no, did he do it? No, it's probably number two. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, uh, you know, they kind of collect themselves. Uh, Tessa's like, hey, we'll take Pierce and deal with them. Um, you won't have to worry about us. Professor's like, fine. Moira's nearby in a hover car <laughs> so they can take Rain to the hospital. A hover car. Yeah, how come we never saw a hover car in this entire issue? <laughs> yes, it's funny. That's a good question. Why wasn't the professor driving around in a hover car instead of a jeep? So the professor's like, "All right, everybody, let's go home." 
Sam Guthrie comes up. He's like, uh, but uh, what should I do? Pardon me, sir, but what should I do? Your boss went that away with the lady. Why don't you go with him? Oh, uh-huh. uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> and they leave in the elevator, and he looks very sad. So we get a nice little epilogue here of the perfect. Wait, aren't they on the ground floor? Where is the elevator going? <laughs> <laughs> to a bunker underground. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sam Guthrie is literally standing next to the hole that uh, Sunspot punched through, which was on the ground floor. Right. What the heck? <laughs> the professor's like, I'm not a caveman. I'm not going through a hole in the wall. I'll take the elevator, the service elevator. Down. <laughs> yes. And then back up. I like the elevator. It's fun. <laughs> so we get a little epilogue of a photograph of the original X-Men in their second wave costumes. The original group of X-Men, which is all wrong. Cyclops never had that uniform. There's no Banshee. Wolverine's not wearing a yellow costume. Yeah, it's like a later period picture of the uh, today's X-Men, but... For some reason, Cyclops is wearing the wrong outfit. But Beast is wearing the wrong outfit, too. Because didn't he have the the blue and white outfit? Yeah. When Angel had the Avenging Angel outfit? Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, what's this? Bob McCloud didn't really look at an older comic book before <laughs> sketching this out. Yeah. Well, anyways, the professor, he reaches out with his mind and says, Attention, students, this is the professor calling. Report to me. Class is now in session. Which I kind of feel is an homage slightly to issue one. But honestly, I would have liked a bigger panel of this. Just just ape it. <laughs> like uh, panel for panel? Just one. Just the one panel in the original X-Men where he says, come to me, my X-Men, or whatever he says. I feel like they should have done this. This is kind of like a, a, a far away panel. The detail isn't very good. It's the smallest panel on the page. I don't know. I just feel like it could have been more front and center of like, I don't know, a new Genesis thing on the Jigger. But Marvel, I guess, wasn't ready for that yet. <laughs> I have two questions. Okay. One, why do they have outfits if they're not going to be a team of villain fighting mutants? Well, they're training costumes. Yeah. And also, why did the artist Bob McCloud feel the need to draw uh, Danny Topless? Well, before you get to that panel, why in Roberto's room is there a picture of Wolverine on the wall? I think because he's staying in Wolverine's room. I think we find out in later issue that that's not actually the case. Maybe this first night they just had to stay in other people's rooms. And So uh, why is Danny topless? Danny is topless because she's the natural Native American storm of the New Mutants. It's just terrible. <laughs> it's, yeah, whatever. How old is she? Like 13? The All of these people are like 13 and 14. and it, uh, Yeah. <laughs> That's just weird. We've seen Rain naked like four times. It's, it's a little, little questionable if you ask me. Bob McCloud. So, yeah, Rain has this impossible costume that allows her to transform into full wolf format and back to Rain without any damage occurring to her costume. Unstable molecules. Very unstable molecules. <laughs> but okay, fine. So they line up in the professor's study. The professor's like, why don't you answer the door? And Rain's like, 
but the door didn't even ring. How did you? Oh, ding dong. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Before that, we get a little bit of, uh, oh, right. he's like, Danielle, you're out of uniform. Please explain yourself. And she's like, I'm very proud. And he's like, all right. <laughs> but then I like the thought balloon. He's just like, once I would have forced her to conform and would have been wrong to do so. I was such a dick. <laughs> Still kind of am, but just not as much. <laughs> she looks terrible in her orange, like, Indian boots. and I, I, I like the belt. I'm okay with the belt. Yep, she's expressing her individual. I am Cheyenne. No white man will. No, I don't know. Uh, and at the door, it is Sam Guthrie, and everyone's like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm really angry at you. I'm so mad at you. And Rain's like, ah, let's just give him a second chance. And everyone's like, okay. Yay. <laughs> let's never talk about this again. <laughs> Their laughter is infectious, and try as he might, Xavier cannot restrain a smile. The dream is still good. Dun, dun, dun. So there the you, beginning. There you go. That is Marvel graphic novel number four or whatever yeah uh, um the new mutants uh very detailed just to give you some 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 background on these characters now this isn't the new mutants podcast so we're not going to cover every issue that we talk about in this amount of depth but just give a little backstory so we can now we can move on to the meat of how this how does all this tie into the x-men adam well let's find out let's dig into new mutants number one which was uh cover date of march 1983 on sale November 23rd, 1982, and this one's titled Initiation. The biggest piece of news that we get right away is that Stevie Hunter is a student, I'm sorry, a teacher here at Xavier's uh, School for Gifted Students. That would make sense. That's why she was in the last couple of issues. Not sure what she teaches, but maybe, maybe she's the school's dance instructor. Uh, yeah, she teaches some sort of... Uh, choreography, I think. I think we there's a scene of it. I don't know. If it happens, I'll bring it up. Shan gets a haircut. He, here's where we get the first taste of Bob McCloud normal art. Um, not as good. No, it's not. Rain looks terrible. I, and, and I'm not sure, like, is it because the coloring or is it just the inking is off? I liked the inking in the last issue. I feel like he inked his own work in the last issue. Well, he didn't, though. He didn't? No. That was... Uh, oh, maybe he did. I'm sorry. Maybe he did. Yeah. This is a different nigga. This is uh, Mike Gustavich. They may not have credited the inker in the last issue, or it was Bob McLeod. Yeah. But at any rate, um, uh, Danny walks in, and she's she's really happy about... Some, actually, she's mocking uh, Shan because Roberto was kind of flirting with her a little... Or flirting with Rain a little bit. I don't know. There was some flirting going on. It doesn't matter. But she inadvertently casts an illusion that freaks Shan the heck out. Yeah, because she still doesn't have control of her powers. And um, it's a pretty intense illusion, actually. Um, she sees her parents get killed. Uh, apparently, she and her brothers and sisters got kidnapped by pirates who are not human. Right. And uh, her mother was raped, and as she also was raped, but her mother died. Ugh. That's pretty dark. That's horrible. Mother was lucky. She did not survive her ordeal. Shan did. So Shan, rightfully so, is like, why would you do this to me? And so she flips out, and she attacks Danny, and she's just 
mad. Smashing her head into the floor. She's choking she's actually, her. She's tr- actually trying to kill her, and Stevie has to jump in and and stop her. And uh, Roberto, they need, get, they need to get separated. Roberto ends up slapping ends up slapping her across the face. Uh, Shan possesses Stevie Hunter, and and that's when Roberto steps in. Mm-hmm. So they all have like a little bit of a kerfuffle. Stevie's like. Hey Danny, why don't you why don't you go do something else for a little bit? We know you didn't mean to do it, but just go elsewhere. It's all cool down. So she does. She does a little bit of exploring. So she starts uh, digging through some of the X Men's rooms. Yeah, she um, she goes. What is this? Kitty Pride's room? Probably must, must be Kitty. There's tons of pictures of Colossus. Colossus holding Kitty up in the air. Pictures of Alana. She heads up into the attic and she's like, whoa, look at all these flowers. Somebody needs to wash or somebody needs to water these flowers. I'll do it. It takes her about an hour. That's when the professor is like, hey, everybody, let's go to the danger room and practice. That's an old lady. (laughs) It's a terrible drawing of the professor. (laughs) Hello, students. I am Mrs. Professor. (laughs) What have you done with the professor? (laughs) Old creepy lady. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very bad. Uh, meanwhile, in London, uh, Moira is hanging out with uh, Ileana. There, they meet this woman named Gabrielle Holler, who's like, "Hey, Holla, Holla, <laughs> I've got a kid who needs some help, and you've got a reputation of uh, being somebody who's in the g- mutant genetics biz. So maybe you could, uh, well, take him." Well, I'm flattered, but my work is theoretical in nature, not practical. The person you need is my colleague, Charles Xavier. Well, and this woman's like, I know. Charles Xavier is the boy's father. Oh. What? 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 Dang. <laughs> wow, that man gets around. <laughs> so, uh, back at the danger room, some back and forth, but basically the professor sets up a... Um, he sets up the fact that the danger room is is dangerous. Um, and here's here's where we get. He he basically says, "Okay, look, you guys, I'm not training you to be X Men. You're not going to fight evil mutants. However, in order to hone your powers, you need to be super athletic. Yep. So, welcome to the danger room. So, X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. <laughs> he gives a little demo. He's like, "Look here, here's a gym, and Ms. Hunter will be in charge of your physical fitness in the gym." But ah, I, that's what she does. There you go. She's the gym teacher. But if I push this button, you're in a crazy alien jungle. Whoa! Now, Adam, is <laughs> this the first time in the Danger Room that we've seen illusions? Yes, I think so, and I think. This must point to the part where he's now using Shi'ar technology in the danger room. But he doesn't say that he's using Shi'ar technology in the danger room. He just says that there's these I, are... I don't believe he ever says he's using Shi'ar technology in the danger room. I think it comes... I mean, maybe that's like a a, 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 retro, a retcon, but he does at some point. Well, I think this is like... If you, if you read the Joss Whedon story where it turns out... Spoilers. That... <laughs> The danger room is a sentient Shi'ar being. Right. It's that probably happened before this. So so they are now in living danger room, I'm guessing. Well, not as far as the continuity that we're currently in. As far as I'm concerned, it's just illusions and special effects. Right. But it is, I believe, the first time we are seeing 
illusions. The uh, holodeck. Yes, exactly. Some elements are illusion, three-dimensional holographic projections, but others are painfully real. You cannot afford to take anything for granted. Happily, you won't have to. Uh, have to because that was part of the X-Men sequence, a level you won't reach for some time. Aha, aha, aha. And they're dead. <laughs> so the first test is uh, back when normal Jim is to get from one side of the room to the other side of the room. A test that we've seen before with Kitty. Yep, and Kitty passed it very easily. With flying but, colors. Uh, none of these guys do. Nope. Sam gets sucked up in a vacuum cleaner. Rain falls down a trap door. Uh, Roberto is taken out by uh, a new... What was that guy's name? Col- Colosso. Colosso. <laughs> <laughs> Colosso Mark II. Mark III. Mark III. Oh, that's right. There was There was another Colosso in there. Everybody's laughing at him. <laughs> uh, Danny's a little like, why are the others laughing? The others are laughing. Why am I so afraid? And for some reason, Shan has to do it through a hologram of a war-torn New York City. And the others get to attack her. I don't know why she gets the upgraded level. Don't know. So she's using her powers to get uh, Cannonball to attack Roberto, Rain attacks Shan and starts licking her and essentially takes her out. What is the deal with like Shan, 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 Shan's accent? Because like she's, she speaks French frequently, but she's Vietnamese. I guess I don't know enough about Vietnamese. Is that, is that like a, is that a thing? Well, the only thing that she says is like Monsieur, isn't it? Well, the more issues of New Mutants come out, the more she starts using more French sayings. Hmm. No, I don't know. Maybe she's just, uh, maybe she's French Vietnamese. I guess. I guess so. Uh, Danny is freaking out. So she's heading towards the danger room, but she's like, no, I ain't doing that. And she runs away. Yeah, she's scared. She's scared. They they call her Psych. Her codename is Psych, but I feel like that gets lost at some point. Is it Psych or is it Psyche? Oh, I don't know. I bet you it's Psyche. Okay. Which is a terrible name. I think eventually she's just Moonstar. I think you're right, yeah. Which is way better. She uh, she heads off to the mountains. Rain catches up to her. They have a little comp- uh, conversation. Danny's like, I'm going to leave. I don't know. Don't be daft. It's just they had no idea what was wrong with you. Everybody was worried. Um, they're both kind of confused about, you know, all this new sights and sounds and craziness that's going on. Rain talks about her powers. Danny talks about how she wishes her powers were as simple as Rain's powers. And uh, eventually the rest of the gang show up and they, they disappear off into a car, leaving Danny alone. Yes, uh, Rain is very exuberant as she turns into a wolf and jumps through the window. Roberto's like, hey man, this is a brand new outfit. <laughs> We get a little bit of uh, Danny's backstory. We learned that her mother and father were killed by a bear that they foresaw in a vision through Danny like the previous week or something like that. So as they're driving away, a couple of special agents see them and start tailing them. And they know all about Xavier's new students and the fact that I guess Xavier is a mutant and is harboring mutants. They don't know that Xavier is a mutant. Oh, okay. But they know that nobody he... nobody knows that yet. But he's he's known as like one of the foremost authority on mutants. Right. 
Four occupants besides Hunter, all young people, presumably Xavier's new students, unable to confirm identities without jeopardizing cover. So, no, they know that they're mutants. Yeah, they know that the students are mutants, yeah. And uh, that's when we get uh, Henry Peter Gyrick. He shows up on the little TV screen that they have in their car, I guess. Is this his first X-Men appearance? Well, this is not an X-Men comic book, so no. Well, is this his first (laughs) mutant appearance? (laughs) I believe this is his first mutant appearance, yes. So he has not appeared in the X-Men before. He's solely an Avengers uh, foil. So he does bring up a familiar topic, though. He says, um, should should the policy to do something about these mutants change, you'll be notifi- uh, notified. Wide Awake out. We remember Project Wide Awake, don't we? We do? That was a Sentinel project. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't make that connection. Oh, <laughs> all right. I'm old. <laughs> That's all right. So Danny is about ready to confront her fe- uh, fears. Earlier in the issue, they said that nobody should ever operate the danger room alone, but of course she does. She goes into the danger room, the test begins, and she's just fighting some robots and using her acrobats and stuff like that. She's doing pretty good. Uh, She zips right through the door, and she's like, oh my god, I made it. I'm the best mutant. Then she gets, (laughs) I'm the best mutant. (laughs) And that's when she gets blasted in the head with a zap. And suddenly she's she wakes up and she's back in the floor uh, on the floor of the danger room and there's a a mysterious uh, shape of a presumably a man I suppose mm-hmm. uh, locking up the danger room and suddenly she's back in that horrible holographic world with the giant predator that was coming after the new mutants before it's now just coming after her there she's in the X Men test room right now yeah. The test that they won't be dealing with for a long time. Uh Uh-oh. Next issue, Sentinels. Ooh, Sentinels. So that takes us right to New Mutants number two. Yeah, that is the April 1983 issue on sale December 28th of 1982. Cover price 60 cents, and it is in fact titled Sentinels. So Danny, she's running away from the holograms, and the holograms just keep coming after her. She uh yeah she runs around for a while but then she sees a giant alien like creature that we recognize as a brood queen. She says, "This is impossible. This can't be happening. You're not my father." <laughs> Regrettably, youngling, salvation will be denied to you. And so she pushes the alien queen push or the brood queen. Well, they 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 never say it's a brood. So if wow. if I'm like if I'm like Johnny New Mutants reader, I'm like. What the heck is that thing? Sure, we recognize it as a brood, but yes, you're right. To Danny and all of the new readers, uh, and if this is the first time you're tuning into the Danger Room podcast and you're like, wow, <laughs> new mutants, man. These guys have like 150 episodes and they're just on New Mutants number two? These guys must really be into the New Mutants. Well, we had to give up, you know, the whole backstory that led up to the New Mutants. <laughs> the we're just getting to this. This is our. This is what we've been waiting for. We are super New Mutant fans. <laughs> we've tied their roots all the way back to the golden age of comic books. Oh, yeah. You go back to Cowboy Kid and you see seeds of Danny being planted. For sure. No, literally. No. <laughs> is Cowboy Kid a thing? <laughs> uh, I don't know. There was Did you some, make that up? There's a Cowboy something or other in the marvel golden age in there i there's there's a lot i i don't i don't know if cowboy kid is one of them let's just say they say it is and move on 
So you half made that up. Yeah. I'm trying to reference material. It could be real, though. It could be, right. Let's just assume it is. Yeah. Why why bother (laughs) fact-checking? We never do. (laughs) So this alien pushes Danny off a cliff. Danny goes falling, lands on her back, and it does hurt because, as we learn, part of this world is actually real. At last, Danny believes she's on her way to join her parents in the other world. She hopes they'll be happy to see her. The rest of the new mutants are at the mall. Uh, make a long story short, they go to get ice cream. A bunch of guys are like, hey, you guys are from Xavier's. You're stuck up s- snobs. And they're like, no, we're pretty cool. And they're like, oh, you guys are. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's like, hey, that's a cool name. Rain. That's kind of like moon, moon Unit Zeppa. Oh, yeah. Not really, but kind of, I guess. Uh, they, they all just saw E.T. It made Rain cry. Yes. Um, and, and that's when we cut back to the Hellfire Club, where we see Henry Peter Gyrich talking to um, Hellfire Guy. Sebastian Shaw. Yes, that's his name. Uh, Project Wide Awake was established. It's a secret government plan. It's not been approved, but uh, Henry Peter Gyrich, I guess, can turn it on if he wants to, because he reports directly to the president. Henry, Henry Peter Gyrich is on a quest to kind of make sure the mutants don't get out of hand. Right. Which is, this is kind of, I, I mean, all things considered, I, I really like this part of the story feeding into the whole mutant uh, hysteria uh, that that will come at some point. But basically, yeah, they're, they're worried that eventually Homo superior will become the dominant species on the planet. And what will Homo sapien do? So they want to just kind of keep tabs on things and kind of have, you know, an ace up their sleeve in case things get out of hand. Right. And, you know, they don't, they don't want any more evil mutants. He's not a bad guy, but he's not really a good guy either. He's mostly just looking out for himself. Right. Well, and, you know, and it's his job. Uh, Sebastian Shaw, he's like, well, this fool doesn't know I'm a mutant. But look, look, we got sentinels. Here's the sentinels. You see the sentinels? (laughs) Apparently, Robert DaCosta's dad is a member of the Hellfire Club. Mm -hmm. But but, uh, so Sebastian Shaw is considering bringing him into the inner circle. Yeah. Just to thicken the plot a little bit. Shaw's like, you're going to unleash these sentinels against the new or the, uh, Xavier students? And Henry Peter Garrick's like, no, it's crazy. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> not at this point. Shaw's got other plans. He's like, my plan is to uh, release these sentinels so that the mutants don't trust the humans. And then they come running to the Hellfire Club. Uh, and then we can increase our ranks. He's playing the long con. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways. Uh, at the mall, Stevie Hunter gets, um, she gets abducted by somebody we've met in the past. And she's calling uh, Xavier to make sure they're okay, but Xavier and Danny are not answering the phone. She's a little bit worried, and then, yeah, she gets abducted. I like, and we have, we have met this guy in the past. I like how she's like, um, uh, if they went out, why didn't they activate the record-a-call system? <laughs> why couldn't they just call it a damn answering machine? It's 1982. They have met this point. <laughs> um, this is Michael Rossi. Haven't we met him before? I well, she says I've uh, Stevie says I've heard the name from a friend of Professor Professor Xavier's Carol Danvers, and we were, he says we were colleagues. And Stevie says and lovers. She said, but have we met him? Haven't we met him in some of the Sentinel issues? I don't. I don't know. Mm. Like I said, I'm old. <laughs> well, I get the future and past stories all confused. So 
Maybe this is the first time we're seeing him in the pages of a mutant mag. So if we haven't met him yet, we will meet him again is what you're saying. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, you know what? I think I hit him confused with Peter Corbo. Ah, we definitely have met Peter Corbo. But we will see Michael Rossi again. Okay. Does he ever reconnect with Carol Danvers? Sort of. Just you wait and find out, Adam. Oh, boy. (laughs) I think according to my count, you're only going to have to wait uh, 18 issues. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The ice cream store is out of vanilla. What? That's crazy. Uh, so some federal agents show up and they're like, hey, kids, can you come with me? And the kids that they just met are like, hey, you can't do that, you pigs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call them pigs. But anyways, uh, they, they do take the kids outside. Stevie shows up and she's like, run, kids. And the police guy is like, whoever those people are that just got out of the car, Michael Rossi and Stevie Hunter, shoot them. <laughs> Beat it, you kids. I'll keep these bozos occupied. And he shoots one of them, but... His gun is set for stun because he's got a space gun. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew, it goes. It, actually, it goes, wazow. Yeah. So the new mutants, new mutant out, and they start they start doing new mutant stuff. I go smash his car. I go take over this person. Yep. I go turn into wolf. And that's when the sentinels show up. Oh, my God. These are different sentinels. They're blue and gray. Yes. And so they take out one of the Sentinels and someone's like, oh, man, if you knew anything about Sentinels, you'd know where there's one. There's a bunch. And there are a bunch. Turns out that as Cannonball is carting away one of the Sentinels, all the other Sentinels are gathered around. And yeah, Roberto wants to go help Cannonball. He says, you women carry him, carry uh, Rossi, who is now unconscious, to safety. Summon the professor if you can. I am going to help Sam. To which the women are like, don't, don't be a jerk. <laughs> so he, he, got, he heads out there. The girls have got Rossi. Uh, they, they fight. Um, one of the Sentinels falls into the mall, which is crazy two-page spread. Which is actually Sunspot's fault because he grabs him by the foot and tips him over. But he's like, no, no, I threw him the wrong way. And uh, clearly, I mean, he says in the next panel, heaven be praised, there appear to be no casualties, but how does he know that? And B, it looks like the Sentinel falls right on the fandom zone, the comic book store. And there's two people and, uh, right in there. Exactly. And I'm betting there are more people inside. Yeah. There's at least nine people that have a potential of being squished here. Yeah. Uh, so Sunspot rips the Sentinel's head off. He's strong. Uh, Cannonball is flying towards a Sentinel, which uses some eye beams to freeze Cannonball. So he's target Guthrie neutralized by Fridgy beam. <laughs> so he's a block of solid ice. So he's dead. It's very classic ice man. <laughs> uh, and so they fly off. They've got uh, sunspot and Cannonball. Uh, they don't have sunspot yet. Who do they have? Who's the other? Oh, no, it's two they, panels. Yeah, they just have Cannonball. Got it. So. Shan uh, uses her powers to take over uh, Cannonball, even though he's in a block of ice, and she gets him to use his uh, override his his frozenness with his Cannonball powers, which kind of starts to thaw him. But because he's frozen, she feels what he feels, and so she's having a little trouble 
uh, doing it, and she can't actually move. And one of the sentinels starts attacking her. At the same time, she's a sitting duck, and uh, and that's when Rossi says, "Rain, get back to the garage, find the head agent, bring him back here. If your friend can possess him, we can have him call off the robots." And she says, "But who will protect her till then?" And and Rossi says, "My job now, scoot." Scoot, classic Chris Claremont dialogue. Yep, he he likes he likes Scoot. So she does. She takes off. Um, Sunspot. Uh, I don't know what he does. He shows up. Rossi's shooting the Sentinel with a gun. Srack. It's space gun. <laughs> um, Cannonball eventually is thawed out. He wakes up because I guess the possession has cleared up, and now he is able to activate his power, which takes them right back to the mall. And he cannonballs into the other Sentinel, thereby, I guess, destroying both of them. And since they have to wrap up the issue quickly, <laughs> we <laughs> flip to the next page. Fifteen minutes later, the or within minutes, the police are on the scene. The new mutants are nowhere to be found, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Shan has possessed one of the federal agents to be like, my name is John Ogilvie. Attached to the National Security Council, my superior Henry Peter Garrick and I sent him in the Sentinels. So she's basically forcing a confession out of him. <clears throat> and then when she stops, he wakes up. He's like, what am I doing here? You gotta let me go. I'm a federal agent. Shan's yeah. like, why would you have me do that, Michael Rossi? And Michael Rossi's like, because he's bad. I'm not bad. <laughs> <laughs> the New Mutants get back to the mansion and they discover Danny in the danger room, but the danger room has been turned off. So she's just lying on the floor. She's still alive. Uh, she looks okay. She wakes up. She's She screams a little bit. She hugs Stevie and she says, oh no, the professor, uh, there's there's a scary monster and I was attacked in the danger room and why doesn't anybody believe me? And then we get a panel of... Well, hang on. Queen. Before that, Stevie is even kind of like, from Danny's description, she encountered one of the creatures who kidnapped the X-Men months ago, but I thought there weren't any left on Earth. Oh. Oh. More to the point, only three people are authorized to cancel the computer safety interlocks. Me, Moira McTaggart, and Charles. Moira's in Scotland, and I was with the kids all day. That leaves Charles. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe Moira's back. She doesn't know. And so the professor does have his head down on his arms on his desk. Uh, he, he's on fire. Yeah, he's like, he must have just smoked a bowl or something. He's steaming. There's smoke coming out of his collar. He just like passed out. And behind him, when... That's good, bud. In what I think is supposed to be kind of an ominous brood caricature, just looks like a giant brood poking his head out from behind his chair. (laughs) Can I score some of that weed, dude? Mm, Share a smoke. (laughs) A friend with weed is a freed indeed. Will you pass me a spliff? <laughs> pass the duchy on the left-hand side. <laughs> and so on. Next issue, Nightmares. So that and takes... Fact, yeah, that takes us to uh, the New Mutants issue number three. Which is, in fact, titled Nightmare. They dropped the plural. Oh, man. <laughs> There's only one. Uh, this is the May 1983 issue on sale, January 25th, 1983. Cover price still 60 cents. So uh, Danny is laying in bed. There's a thunderstorm, and she catches a glimpse of a fangy-toothed creature in the mirror. What's that? She 
she's got her knife by her bed. So she gets up and looks out the window. She feels like she's been crazy on edge for days. Maybe she was just imagining things when suddenly in a full page splash, a shadowy monster look jumps through the window. Looks nothing like the creature in the mirror, nor does it look, look like a brood. Nope. It's Wendigo. It's it kind of looks like uh like a bulky version of Nightcrawler. Kind of. So she stabs it and she's she runs and she's like, "Oh my god, I got to everybody wake up." And so she bursts into uh, a room where she sees um Roberto has been shot by Juliana, I think. I think so, yeah. I'm not really sure. Jean, oh, yeah, I, I guess it would be because, yeah, they're all, yeah, yeah, it, it'll make sense. They're all seeing their nightmares. Jean is dead. We don't know why. I mean, I guess raped and murdered, I suppose. Uh, Sam Guthrie is under a whole bunch of, I thought these were like skulls, but it could just be rocks and stuff. Yeah, it's Kevin. Yeah. And then Rain has been uh, burnt at a stake. And that's when the monster from around the corner comes through the door and she pulls off his head, which turns out to be a mask. And it's a it's a bear, and it's like, I'm the bear! <laughs> Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> she runs away, and she wakes up. It was a nightmare! And the new mutants come running in, and they're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, daddy, what you doing? It's me, Yogi. <laughs> what's uh, in that picnic basket <laughs> and so she's like i think i'm going crazy and the professor is um he i don't know if he's on edge but he certainly looks on edge these are just terrible drawings of the professor <laughs> it's very tired <laughs> yes <clears throat> uh so she, um she's like wow man that's crazy it must be crazy. It must have been a dream. But then she pulls the knife out of its sheath and it's got blood on it. You would think that the professor would, you know, he's got record-a-call devices. But no, he just uses a, like, a, a, a typical... Uh, Mercury-filled uh, thermometer. Yeah, a, th- a thermometer. And, and he's, like, checking her pulse with a stopwatch. <laughs> yeah. Where's his, like, pulsometer or his... Uh, thermo test thingy. <laughs> eh, they're in the shop. Her temperature gauge. Well, we do find out that the professor really isn't of... Something's going on with the professor. because she So she sees the knife. Uh, it's got blood on it. So she wants to go tell the professor, like, hey, man, like uh, something's going on. Like, I'm not crazy after all. Like, this is the proof. So she runs over to the professor's study. And the professor calling at the middle of the night is like, I think Danielle Moonstar is psychotic. We should probably get her in for paranoia, schizophrenia, those types of things. Not sure, you know, I know what's going on with the professor, but I'm not sure why he's calling Moira McTaggart right now to to do this. The only reason is so that Moira McTaggart can get really angry and be like, something's wrong with the professor. He's calling (laughs) me in the middle of the night to talk to me about things that he shouldn't be talking to me about. Right. And that's dumb. It, It is like... We know what, well, yes, we know what's happening to the professor right now. Uh, and it, you're right. It makes no sense. Like, why would he do this? Why wouldn't he just, I think he's just trying to get rid of her because maybe he sees her as the only way that his plan can be foiled. Well, that may be so, but why does he need Moira's permission? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. 
I don't know. Moira, I really want to get rid of this person. Is that cool with you? No. Oh, man. Darn it. <laughs> uh, we we get to see Sean Cassidy. He shows up. Yeah, his Banshee. It's nice to see him again. I was wondering what happened to him. So, you know, there's a little like, oh, I love you. I love you, lass. What's going on? Oh, the professor. He's such a jerk to you sometimes. Let's get married and have babies. And she's like, no, you saw what happened to my last kid. I'm not going to do that again. What's wrong with you? And she does go on, though, about like, oh, the holler kid is bothering me. The one that's the professor's. That could have been Charlie and my kid. I'm going to tell you that a couple of times, even though you and I are supposed to be in love. (laughs) But I did make lots of love to the professor. (laughs) Lots. We could have had so many babies. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Banshee's out for a walk because he's like, Jesus, why would she talk to me like this? I don't need to know those things. <laughs> and he sees uh, Ilana singing to the sunrise. She gets a little, I don't know, kind of embarrassed maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, she's like, you know, I was I was singing a birthday song that Aurora taught me to a friend of mine. And Banshee thinks to himself, oh, yeah, today's uh, Kitty Pride's birthday, which ties into... What was that, two issues ago when we learned it was Kitty Pride's birthday? Right. Um, and Banshee's like, uh, well, you shouldn't fret. Everybody else thinks the X-Men are dead, but I don't think the X-Men are dead. They'll be home safe and sound. You'll see. Which I'm like, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's like, okay, come on, give him some time. Now, Ilana, she's like, I wasn't thinking about here and now, Mr. Cassidy, but of the demonic limbo, for that was my home for half my life. And this is, read this with me, Adam. And of the creature who re, who ruled it, dot, 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 and me, Belasco. And of the creature who ruled it, and me, colon, Belasco. Is she Belasco? No, no, no. The creature who ruled Limbo and also ruled her was Belasco. Oh, the colon threw me off. All right, fine. So it turns out that she, it was talking about Kitty Pride, but someone, a Kitty Pride version named Cat. Right. And we don't know it was somewhere and some when in Limbo. And then she says, ominously, the X-Men were there too. Some died at Belasco's hand. Some died at mine. I don't think this ever gets followed up on, but I could be wrong. I don't think it needs to be followed up on. I mean, we knew that Nightcrawler was bad. And so in the time that we never saw, the seven years or whatever that she was stuck in limbo, she certainly could have killed Nightcrawler. That doesn't need to be followed up on, in my opinion. Well, I I think the implication here is that there's going to be a story in the future where the X-Men return to limbo, encounter Ilyana during her time when when she was missing, and some stuff goes down maybe or maybe that happens in the pages of the of the new mutants yeah i mean all of this is possible yeah so anyways uh hey danny's naked she's swimming in the pool yeah because yeah like you said she's the storm of the group (laughs) yep so she's scared she thinks the professor wants to send her away yeah and she she feels like someone's out to get her and uh you know she kind of feels like it's right. Meanwhile, in the danger room, Sam Guthrie is practicing. He's doing the tests over and over again. Uh, the professor's, what, having headaches? Well, he's like, uh, he's touching his head because Sam runs into a metal uh, ring. Oh. 
which doesn't hurt him because I, we haven't, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but he isn't vulnerable when he is in, in his cannonball state. Yeah, and, and the faster he goes, the more invulnerable he is. So the professor realizes this and he's like, oh, I got to recalibrate these. If you run into him too slow, he'll get really hurt. Right. And in order to cannonball, he needs to be going a certain speed. Right. Like he can't, he can't really slow down and be a cannonball. So the, the, the rings have to be a little bit farther away. That's the one thing that I do like about uh, the storytelling in the New Mutants is that it really does feel like uh, the team, the creative team sat down and really discussed it. Didn't say like, okay, this guy's going to have the power of cannonballs. All right, good. This guy's going to have the powers of uh, possession. They're like, well, all right. Now, if he's got the power of uh, cannonball, like what's his hook? Like what, what is he vulnerable to? Or is there like a limitation he has? Whereas I don't really feel like they did that so much with the original X-Men or, well, most all characters. Yeah, you're right. And so moving forward, see this a lot more with characters like i can do this but at this expense i just like that anyways sam's showering and shaving after his workout uh, and he blacks out and when he doesn't really black out he just uh he gets possessed basically yeah we see the the uh head outline that we have we have come to associate with shan and in the mirror spelled out in shaving cream it says meet us in the boathouse She's like, God bless it, Shan. Stop it. <laughs> you possessed me. What the heck? So he goes out to the boathouse, and that's where everyone's like, hey, all these crazy things that are kind of happening, I think it's the professor. And everybody's like, did you know the professor has a boat? <laughs> and uh, Sam's like, no, no, <laughs> he's not bad. And then he opens up the door, and he's like, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, we're in weird zone. We're in the Twilight Zone. And this is where uh, Shan says, Mon Dieu, c'est fantastique, c'est impossible. Yep. So apparently, I don't know if this is supposed to be Brood World or if this is just supposed to be Weird World, but they're in it. Uh, there's a secret door from the boathouse back to the mansion that uh, Danny knows of. She's been exploring the mansion. This never really gets explained. Nope. It doesn't. <laughs> but uh, they open up some trap doors, and that's when some brood uh, tentacles come and capture Danny, and they all see it's a it's a freaking brood. <laughs> so this begs the question, like we know as the X-Men readers, that this, well, that the professor's got a brood in him. At this point, is he transforming back and forth from brood to human? I believe so, uh, but I, I think we'll find out in the next issue of, x-men for for oh, sure okay because i don't like that yeah i don't really care for it either i mean it, the transformation should be once uh, and painful because like it's a physical transformation of your body you shouldn't be able to just go back and forth also bob mcleod not a great brood drawer eh. like he's good with the head but then the body is just all over the place yeah shan tries to possess it which just seems like a terrible idea and it is Yes, its very thoughts, the very fiber of its being, so alien, so evil, it is more than I can bear. Rain turns into a wolf and bites it, Cannonball, cannonballs at him and knocks it back through a hole. Oh, we don't get a panel of Rain saying, Rain bites down into the tentacle, <laughs> wondering what the taste of blood would be. Will she like it? Who knows? She prays not. <laughs> Well, so now they're like, well, we got to go into that hole. So they do. 
And yeah, the, the, this happens a couple of times. Cannonball punches the brood into the wall, and then there's a tunnel. So they go... Just kind of appears. They follow the tunnel. Uh, Roberto, he gets tangled up in some vines, turns into sunspot, and breaks free. Brood comes and attacks Danny again, blacks out. She wakes up. She's tied up in the professor's study. Brood is like, Ah, your thoughts are an open book to me, hatchling. Yes, the brood can read her thoughts. Hmm. And so he projects an image of like, this is what's going to happen to your friends. And it's all of the new mutants turning into broods. Which in issue two, the queen was like, I could impregnate you, but I'd rather kill you. But apparently now it has changed its mind. Eh. Killing you is somewhat difficult. I'm going to impregnate you. It's it's flighty. (laughs) So she's like, this is crazy. And that's when the new mutants bust in. They're like, there they are. Let's get them. And so Uh, the the queen reveals that, okay, they do explain the the brood world or the thing. All of everything that they have been experiencing that's kind of weird is created by Shan. And the brood is kind of manipulating. No, Danny. Or or Dan, Danny. And the brood is kind of manipulating her power for its own use. Um, Danny doesn't even realize she can do stuff like that, but the brood sees her potential, which is kind of cool. This is, this is one of the things that I like about uh, these first couple of issues of New Mutants is they lay a lot of interesting groundwork for their their developing powers. Right. Yes, I as well like it. Uh, and so they, they punch the crap out of the brood and uh, it vanishes back into a tunnel. Yeah, I told you this keeps happening. <laughs> They punch it into walls and it turns into a tunnel. But then it comes back out of the tunnel. This time it's got rain. And uh, uh, Danny now knows, like, oh, my head's throbbing. Like, I am doing that. I am the key. KO me and the alien will disappear for good. It's the only hope. Uh, Cannonball's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So he flies up towards her and punches her in the face. She's knocked out. And all the weirdness disappears. Including the brood. From off-panel, we hear a voice. Mutants, explain yourselves. What is the meaning of this? <laughs> we don't see Professor Xavier again for the end of this issue, though, so they they must talk their way out of the problem. Somebody explain the situation quick. We just ruined the professor's study. So later, Roberto is talking to Danny and says, After mind-scanning us, the professor believed our story. He's been busy all afternoon trying to find a way to locate the monster. Um... Let's see here. Yeah, so they never really connect the dots from the brood to the professor. Right. And 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 to be fair, I don't think the professor knows. That could yet. be. Sure. That could definitely be. Uh, and that's when Sam Guthrie comes out and he's like, Hey, guys, Magnum's on. You watching it with us or what? And remember that because it's important. This will feed directly into X-Men number 167. Oh, they see a shooting star, which I think he says is he's never seen one so big or so bright. I think it's probably the X-Men. Definitely the X-Men about to land the ship. To and they actually give away everything because they're like, oh, and so Xavier's students begin to relax, unaware that in a matter of minutes, their predecessors, the uncanny X-Men, are about to make a spectacular return home. And this issue actually came out after issue 167. Oh, that's weird. But we do things in order on Danger Room. 
<laughs> we try anyways. <laughs> um, so there you go. That was uh, a little bit of, I know a lot of new mutant stuff, but kind of ties in the whole brood story. I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess. I mean, we could have gone from 166 to 167 or really not missed a beat, but we would have opened up with these new characters and we've been like, who are these people? What is Magnum? <laughs> yes, exactly. We still don't really know what Magnum is. It doesn't really explain it. Well, we'll, le- we'll learn a little bit more about it in the first page. We will. Yeah. We'll learn that he is very handsome. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, so um, let us know what you think of this uh, extended uh, New Mutants coverage. We, Like I said before, or we said before, we're not going to spend too much time on the New Mutants, but when it's pertinent, we will, and, and we'll potentially keep you up to date on the happenings of what's going on with them, like Dazzler. Although I'm I'm a little worried that it's going to get out of hand, Adam. Well, okay, here's <laughs> here's here's the thing. I'm going to read New Mutants as we're doing X-Men, but we're not going to cover it. I'm probably going to read it too cuz I got to be honest, like these first few issues that I've read um all things considered, pretty good, pretty solid writing in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, there's no I mean, there's been villains, of course, but there's been no like uh uh single-dimensional Magneto character or you know, Everybody's got depth. They're opening up a whole bunch of storylines. So it's cool. I'm sure like I'm it. sure they'll lose the plot eventually. But <laughs> um but yeah, I I don't foresee us doing new mutants the way that we do um Dazzler and Defenders. Nope. Probably not. So if you'd like to weigh in, give us your opinion, say, hey, how come we didn't hear 167, you guys? You just wasted all my time. Or, oh, man, awesome. I didn't realize New Mutants were were as good as you say they are. You can do so by visiting us at xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. You can catch us on Stitcher. You could leave us a voicemail, 501-GET-X-MEN. Or you can go to iTunes, search for us, Danger Room, where the first result that will come up. You can uh, subscribe to us there. You can leave us a review uh, and all of that cool stuff. Yo, yo, yo. But we're not done yet, Jeremy. Oh, man, we're not? I mean, no. No no way we're not done yet. (laughs) We We got three more issues to go. Yes, sir. And uh, the first thing that we're going to do here is a little Marvel team-up featuring Spider-Man and the Beast. And Professor Power, remember him? Yeah, but I don't care about him. This is Marvel team-up number 124. Uh, I'm not going to spell out all that jazz, but this one's titled The Ties That Bind. Uh, Professor Power's back, and who cares? He's back, <laughs> and he's uh, he's still angry at Professor X for... He blames him for vegetating his son, I guess. That's right. Uh, he wanted the professor to save his son, but the professor's like, I can't. He's beyond my help. Uh, and so Professor Power still blames the professor for that. Right. Professor Power puts his mind inside of his son's body and now has a super Professor Power suit. Holy crap. Which is pretty creepy. You know what? I totally missed that. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, there's all this machinery stuff here, but I just thought that it was like, oh, I'm Professor Powering myself. No, no. He goes into his son's body and he gets rid of his old man body. That's that's crazy. I didn't know that. And now he's got a super suit and he's going to kill not just Professor X, but he's going to kill everybody that the professor has ever trained. Right. 
which is why we get tuned into Beast. Beast is really happy because his parents are going to be in town, and he hasn't seen his parents since before he turned into Blue and Furry Beast. Which is, you know, they've probably seen him on TV. He's been an Avenger. Oh, absolutely. He even says so. Like, he doesn't say anything about, like, they don't know what I look like. So definitely they know what he looks like. He's there with Vera, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, he's still with Vera. And uh, they show up, and uh, he's you know he's bouncing off the walls and doing flips and telling stupid beast jokes. And uh, his dad shows up, and he's like, "Hey, it's cool to see you. I'm glad to see you. Everybody's cool." And his mom's a little cold. Not a little. Her her dialogue is mutter, grumble, mutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She does not even say hello to her child. You'll have to excuse your mother, son. She's. A trifle worn out from the flight. Beast's like, oh, that's cool. I'll get all your stuff. <laughs> For heaven's sake, Edna, can't you give our son the courtesy of a warm hello? She tilts her head up, turning her nose in his direction. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man's helping Aunt May move in. Yeah, we can kind of skip through that. Yep, who cares? <laughs> There's an old poet guy who I thought was Bernard at first, but no, no. he's not. And only if Bernard super aged, but... Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the beast is like, Hey, we, let's go out to eat. I know this great Thai place. And everyone's like, Indian or Indian. You're right. Indian. Uh, and I got to imagine that in 1982, like Indian food is probably like, well, yeah, I bet Indian food is to 1982 as Ethiopian is to now. Exactly. Uh, You know, four or five years ago, if you would have said, Jeremy, let's go to Ethiopian restaurant. I'd be like, what needs sand? (laughs) Ha ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> but in the last four years, I've been taken to an Ethiopian restaurant. I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. Yeah. So, yes. Um, so that's the whole point here, right? Beast is like, let's go to this Indian restaurant. And they're like, I don't know about this. But his father's like, wow, this stuff's actually pretty good. Yeah. And uh, his mother's like, I still don't understand why we couldn't have gone out for something more American. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's not open-minded. And Beast goes to touch her hand, and she says, Don't touch me, you disgusting freak! Mom? Edna? Mrs. McCoy? (laughs) She gets up, stands up, and says, "This Our son is a disgrace! He's a horror, and I'm out of here! She leaves. Beast kind of freaks out, and her father says, Well, well, try try to imagine this. We had a mutant kid, and your mom always wanted her to be normal. And, you know, you were kind of normal, but not really. And then you became blue. And so her whole idea of normal kind of, she, you kind of turned her world upside down. And and Beast, to his credit, totally understand. He's like, I got to go talk to her. I had no idea. Gee. So, I, I, yes, it's it's very um, stand-up-ish of him to be like, oh, okay, I get it. That makes sense. I'm going to go talk to her. But. She clearly has no desire to talk to him. Like, what? what's he going to do? Like, I'm sorry I'm blue. <laughs> now let's be normal. I'm sort of normal. Like, she's 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 given no opening. She's just like, I hate you. Right. <laughs> but anyways, he takes off. And he's even like, poor mom. I've taken time out to wallow in my own self-pity for years, but I never once considered what it was like for her. Being the parent of a mutant, especially a conspicuous one like me, must be just as bad as being a mutant. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's yeah. an interesting plot device, I suppose. Professor Power comes out and shoots Beast. They fight. I'm going to kill you because I'm going to kill you. 
well, you're one of Xavier's, so through you I will get to him. Right. And they fight and they fight, and Spider-Man sees them, and then they all fight a whole bunch. Blah, blah, blah. They fight and fight and fight and fight. And then uh, Mrs. Beast, Mrs. McCoy, she's sitting up in her hotel room while all this fighting's going on. She doesn't know it yet. She's looking through an old photo album. She sees pictures of Beast, and she's just, she's like, ah, where did her boy go? And that's when she looks outside and she sees this fight going on with her son, Professor Power, and Spider-Man. Which, which by the way, Spider-Man was on the way to the same Indian restaurant, presumably, mm. and happened to see this and was like, oh, I got to go take photos of this. See you guys later. Yeah. he was. There's a, there's a side plot where Spider-Man's friend's girlfriend thinks that Peter Parker is cute. Ah. <laughs> so a little kid runs out of the into the fray because he's he wants he's like oh man the furry man's hurt i'm gonna so he's showing compassion beast rescues the boy tosses it to spider-man but that leaves him open to professor power blasting him which now mrs mccoy is watching and this is when she says henry so they fight a little bit more beast is on the ropes and it looks like power is about to take him out this isn't right. That madman is going to kill my Henry. No matter what he's been through, he's still my son. Still my son! And she runs down the hall. Son! <laughs> she gets in the elevator. Son! <laughs> the elevator opens when she gets to the bottom floor. <laughs> Please come and take her away. We've had some noise complaints. <laughs> She runs outside. She's like, no, oh, God, dear. No, God, no. Because Professor Power here, he's about to throw a uh, crane on top of Beast. Because his power guns are are drained. And she's like, he's my son, my son. Maybe he hasn't become the adult I dreamed he'd be. But that doesn't change the fact that he's my flesh and blood, that I gave him life. I don't know if you can understand what it means to be a parent, to have a child whose life is bound to yours forever. But if you can, please understand, please. And of course, as we know, Professor Power does understand that. And he gets frozen momentarily. And Spider-Man takes advantage of this to... Make him lose his balance, and he drops the construction crane on himself. And he's, he he's bursts not, out. He's yeah. like, he's like, all right, you've touched a nerve. I will give you mercy, but beware, Spider-Man. Professor Power will be back for you and Xavier and the world, but just not today. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and then they're all hugging. Vera's there. Mom's there. Beast is there. Dad's there. They're all hugging. Oh, my baby. Oh, mom. <laughs> well, what do you know? We're a family again. <laughs> I'm Spider-Man. So that was, a, I mean, all of the crap and the fighting were were kind of Dullsville, but the I like the beast character development. Yeah, it was a good story. I yeah. mean, you know, it was kind of cliched, but <laughs> well, it, it was it, good. It, I just, I don't know. I just feel like of maybe all of the X Men beasts, even though we got the whole Blue Beast story, he's just he, to me he feels like the least well rounded of them. I don't know why, but anyways, uh, while that may have been a good story, the Incredible Hulk number two seventy seven was something entirely different. It's not a bad story. It's just not doesn't relate to the X Men very much at all. In fact, you know what? You just take this one, Adam. <laughs> uh, yes, this is uh, X- Incredible Hulk number 277 called What Friends Are For. And um, 
the UFOs have captured Bruce Banner and they're going to kill him live on TV. So we get a bunch of superheroes reacting to that. Um, I guess Bruce Banner and the Hulk are the same now. So when he hulks out and stuff, he's super intelligent. Mm. Um, uh, we see the defenders. So we see, we see beast running upstairs to ask Dr. Strange what's going on. And Dr. Strange says, I'd really like to hug, help the Hulk cause he's been a defender, but I can't figure out where he is. And then we cut over to the professor who is looking at Cerebro and, he says, my X-Men are in space on a mission. My mutant-detecting computer does not register the UFOs, and my own telepathic powers are somehow being blocked. Darn. <laughs> I'm out. Xavier out. We get uh, we get Namor, we get Daredevil, we get Spider-Man. We get Alpha Flight. We get the Soviet Union dudes. Hey, on page 21, there's mm-hmm. like this cone-headed robot with giant lips and a giant eye. Yes. Uh, I'll get to that. Oh, oh okay, good. <laughs> Rick Jones, who, as we all know, was there when the Hulk mm-hmm. turned into the Hulk the first time, mm-hmm. is hanging out with some woman who is from another planet and is able to create weird creatures, much like the one you just mentioned. Oh. And um, she's a director who is from another planet and creates movies of, and she, she's making a movie of the Hulk that she's going to send. It's, it's kind of a Mojoverse type thing, actually. Hmm, interesting. But uh, that, that device that you pointed out is her camera. Oh. And so they discover where the UFOs are and they rescue the Hulk and Hulk fights them and uh, the whole thing collapses and she has to leave her camera behind. It's very sad. Um, the UFOs are kind of interesting. I feel like there's some sort of weird parallel to the Fantastic Four. Um, they got they got their powers from cosmic radiation as well, but they somehow it went wrong or something. I don't oh, know. right. Yeah, they're like, well, if the Fantastic Four can do it, maybe if we try to do it, we'll get really good powers. Right, and, and something something goes wrong, uh, but and it's in this issue, but I can't find it. So I'm, I'm kind of skimming through it. Look, Adam, I don't care. Let's talk about Marvel fanfare number seven. <laughs> so they fight and Hulk wins. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, fanfare uh, number seven, Marvel fanfare number seven, titled with friends like these is another Hulk story. But this one takes place before the one that we just did because now the Hulk is Monster Hulk again. And he, I like this. So it's Joe Barney is the penciler. George Freeman is the inker. I don't know why, but. I really like this first panel. It's all kind of strolling along. Do-do-do. You can tell by the way I use my walk, I'm a Hulk's man. No time. <laughs> he is just straw. He's happy. He's big. He's green. There's uh, flowers and grass all over the place. And he's just like, I'm just chilling. A little bit of yeah. illing. Hulk happy. Hulk happy. Unfortunately, some stupid shoot or pilots fly in and they ruin his fun. Typical Hulk stuff. Whatever. He hulks out, he gets mad, he punches planes, and he jumps away. He throws a tree at the plane. Yeah. But the, the pilot's like, oh my gosh, Hulk threw a tree at the plane, but he, it's like he threw it at the wing to try to not kill me. <laughs> I'm not sure how I know that. <laughs> I mean, he is just a stupid green creature who probably just has bad aim. With my zoom-in camera, it looked like the Hulk carefully aimed that makeshift spear at my wing, not at the cockpit. <laughs> Meanwhile, at a circus 
somewhere. A clown walks into a trailer and says, Hey, man, the freak you have in the center table, he don't do nothing. We're sick of it. And if you don't get him to do something, we're walking. And the guy's like, Freak, huh? That's pretty funny, bozo. Better watch what you say about freaks when you're talking to the blob. Tell him this. My freak is my best friend. Anyone who doesn't like him can get out right now. So, first of all, I have two questions. How did he get out of jail? Uh, escaped. Okay. Where? Oh, I guess I have three questions. Where are the other Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Uh, well, we know that some of them are free. The ladies are free, but Avalanche yeah. and Pyro. Avalanche and Pyro didn't didn't make it. They're still in prison. Oh, okay. And then is his best friend Toad? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, please let it be Toad. It's almost as good as Toad. So, it's it's a it's a classic X Men villain. So he from, from the first ten issues. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! It's the Vanisher. <laughs> it it's not the Vanisher. Mm, uh, Lucifer. It's not Lucifer. Uh, I'm running out of villain. Namor. It's it's not Namor. <laughs> There's um, all of the Avengers. <laughs> no, no, mm. they're they're not mm. villains. And why would they be, be uh, Blob's best friend? <laughs> I just I can't think of any other uh, Magneto. Magneto? No, it's it's not Magneto or any of the Brotherhood. Although I think he was a member of the Brotherhood briefly. Huh. Well, I guess we'll have to read on to find out who this mystery person is. Lousy creeps! They're all freaks one way or another, but they hate us mutants just like everyone else. Food ready, Charlie? You bet, boss. And Charlie, who looks like Charlie the Butcher, says, "You bet." I really like in the second panel, the clown that's running away is like, yes, sirree, boss. <laughs> it's like trying to do a perspective shot, but like his foot is as tall as he is. Well, he's, you know, he's a clown. So maybe he's wearing extremely large clown shoes. Yeah, but they look like they look really huge. Yeah, it's not good. Blob walks into the center tent and he's like, all right, man, here's time for some food. Uh, I wish I was bringing the head of those X-Men, but it's just food. <laughs> and the man in red who looks sort of superman-esque says why they are responsible for my power going haywire the force of the force of it even keeps the tent up without any support take the tray away put me out of my misery and let me starve fred don't call me that fred j dukes is a name for a human they call me the blob now just like they call you Eunice the untouchable <gasps> so I, I have to argue and say that probably some of his power issues are related to the X-Men since Beast <laughs> did shoot him with a power enhancer. Well, yeah, that's true. But didn't it, didn't it, didn't they reverse that or Yeah, but you no. you'd start tinkering around with that stuff. I mean, you know, you can you can snort cocaine and then take <laughs> some downers. You're still going to be messed up at the end. Didn't uh was was Eunice a part of the team when they all got turned into babies or was that not Ah, I remember it being Blob, Mastermind, and Magneto, but I couldn't tell you if it was Eunice. Lorelai was there, too. And Lorelai, but I don't think Eunice was there. In fact, I, I, I can't remember the last time we saw Eunice. Yeah, I don't either. Hmm, it's been a while. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 the point here is that uh, Eunice is creating a force field that even he can't control, but because Beast is immovable, 
he is able to power his way through the force field uh, close to Eunice in order to feed him and, I guess, empty his uh, bucket. Which is kind of uh, the last panel is hilarious where Blob is feeding Eunice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We'll go to New York. I promise I'll force one of them super types to cure you. Till then, you got to stay alive because you're all I got. So eat. I'll make this up to you, buddy, I swear. And that's when the Hulk lands in town and Hulk hungry. Hulk goes goes to a pizzeria and uh, he doesn't want pizza. No, he doesn't like those funny red circles. They don't look good. And people would scream at Hook anyway. So then he heads towards the, I guess they're not at the circus, they're at the state fair. He smells uh, churros and hot dogs. <laughs> Maybe the Turman will feed Hook. He's like, give me some of those red things. And he's like, these are hot dogs, you un-American eep. Hey, Rube! Finally. Hey, we get a Rube again. <laughs> and uh, it, Hey, it, Rube! It is the circus battle cry because all of the circus freaks come out with their unicycles and their <laughs> dumbbells and their bowling pins uh, to say, hey, what's going on? Doesn't matter who it is because no one's allowed on the midway this time of night. Get him! And they're like, oh, it's 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 the Hulk. But they all attack him and the Hulk take makes short order of him. Yeah, and then the blob shows up and says, hey... What do you think you're doing? Leave my people alone. Leave my people alone. I don't is that, know. <laughs> is that a song? And then I was supposed to Sounds be like a... Devo or something. <laughs> Let my people go. Yeah. No, it wasn't very good. Anyways, uh, <laughs> he's like, men attacked Hulk, fat man. Don't uh, call me fat, greedy. Um, Hulk remembers you. So that this the last time they met was in that mid period between sixty six and ninety four, if I recall. Really, I don't remember Hulk ever meeting Blob. I don't. I don't know if we covered it in the show. In in the mid period, we did cover Hulk meeting um, Juggernaut. So then, when did Hulk meet Blob? I don't. I don't think we covered that. Hmm. Or maybe I just don't remember it. I thought we did. I mean, there was a lot of issues there. It's definitely possible that we covered it, and I just don't remember it. Yeah. That happens all the time. We know that Hulk has met Avalanche. Yep. Because he smashed his hands. Hulk punches the blob, and the blob's like, I'm immovable. Hulk is strongest there is. Blob repel. I mean, this. I really liked seeing and reading, like, the blob Hulk stuff. I found it kind of interesting. Uh, but it is, it's actually just, it's a lot of just back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Hulk punches blob, blob repels blob, uh, Hulk, and uh, Hulk eventually overpowers Blob by lifting him and the ground beneath him uh, out of the earth. Get good and mad, Run, because when you're through, I'm going to bash your stupid brains in. Hulk is already mad. (laughs) And so he picks Blob up and throws him towards the tent, uh, which brings us back to Eunice, who's like, oh my God, what's going on? Uh, And Blob is repelled from... Eunice, who goes flying towards the Hulk, who punches the blob. Oh, my goodness. The blob is partially unconscious at this point. <laughs> yes. Eunice comes out and he's like, oh, he's my friend. You can't talk to him like that. And in a nice touch, the tent behind him collapses. Yeah. And I really like the force field wavy effect that's going on here. It's uh, it's like that magneto effect, but it makes more sense here. <laughs> Hulk's like, nobody tells me what to do. He comes charging at the force field. 
Uh, and he tries to push through it, but he's repelled by the force field. Even air fights Hulk now. Let Hulk through, air. <laughs> uh, Eunice does actually say this. is like, my force field is even repelling air. Soon I won't be able to breathe. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's that, that happens. Uh, Hulk runs up to the force field. He's banging on the side of the force shield when Blob regains his consciousness and uh, again attacks the Hulk. Eunice's irresistible force. I'm an immovable object. Between us, we'll crush you. But they do not crush him. In fact, Hulk starts pushing Eunice's force shield back, which interestingly enough causes Eunice to kind of fall over. Yeah, well, it makes sense. I mean, if. In, yeah, it's in, he's inside the force shield and yeah. the force shield's moving back. Yep. Uh, and he pick, Hulk picks up Blob and throws Blob away. Poor Blob. He really gets his butt kicked in this issue. I, he got me off balance again. Help! I mean, I got to be honest, like a, in a, I mean, as we're seeing in a fight between the Hulk and the Blob, I mean, it's really not going to be a contest. The Blob doesn't necessarily have a lot of strength. He's just immovable and kind of invulnerable. There's not, he's not super strong, but anyways, Hulk jumps away. Blob grabs onto his leg. Uh, Eunice is like, Fred, oh my God, I got to go get him. So he heads off after him. It's kind of cool as he's walking away with his force field. He's knocking down fences and trees and stuff. He knows that the more he moves, the more his force field goes out of control, but he wants to help anyway. So they end up, I don't know, somewhere by some mountains. They 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 punch each other back and forth. I feel like this is a theme in the Hulk. He fights somebody and they end up fighting near a river in a nice, pristine place. Yeah. Bob, Bob is making some decent uh, decent blows here, but it's really not He's doing a- good. Fall! Fall! Blast you! Fall! Is Fat Man done? <laughs> Fat Man is strong, but Hulk is Hulk, and Hulk is strongest one. There is! And so he runs towards Blob, punching him in the belly, but Blob's like, I'm immovable, I'm invulnerable, there's nothing you can do, but Hulk keeps pushing and pushing and pushing until he actually exceeds the amount of power that Blob can repel, and he ends up repelling himself against a mountainside. It's kind of neat because, like, Hulk gets his fist good inside the blob, mm-hmm. and the blob is using his muscles to kind of push the Hulk back, which worked earlier. Mm-hmm. But then Hulk just doesn't resist and, and eventually says, uh, Didn't think your arm to be stronger than my stomach. Use my own strength against me. And then he passes out. But that's don't stop the blob. You run. <laughs> Eunice shows up. Don't touch him, monster. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for my friend, monster, and you. Even the air is moving away from me now. I don't have much longer to live, but I'm taking you with me, Hulk. Not sure how that's going to work, but here I come. He's walking towards the Hulk. Hulk is being kind of repelled, but uh, Hulk can smash, as he says, and he punches the force field, which causes Eunice to fly backward. Awesome blow, since particles rippling back along lines of force. A chain reaction that turns the very ire dark and acrid. Hulk is like, well, that was enough. I'm out of here. He leaves. Eunice kind of gets up and he's like, oh, I can breathe. My force field is gone. Do you hear me, Fred? The Hulk's punch must have dispersed my... Fred? Oh, Fred. Blob's eyes are kind of crossed and he looks, he looks like he's in bad shape. 
Now the roles have reversed. Come on, buddy. I'll take care of you like you did for me. We're pals. See, and everything will be just fine. See? (laughs) The two mutants stagger away, defeated, but in possession of something far more precious than the Hulk's hollow victory. They have friendship. And near Eunice's feet, the tiniest of pebbles begins to roll. The end? In other words, Eunice is doomed. Yes. Did you happen to read the uh, the Daredevil story? I did not. Does it have anything to do with the X-Men? Uh, nope, it doesn't, <laughs> but it's 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 really sad. It's, well, you know, <laughs> the only Daredevil comics I've ever read have been super sad. In fact, I'm going to describe it for you. It, I'll do this very quickly. Uh, a blind child loses his dog, and Daredevil spends the whole issue searching for it, vainly only to discover that it's just been put down by the... Uh, the what, dog police, whatever they are. Wow. It was horrible. That is sad. <laughs> Why would they even put that in a comic book? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like the worst story ever. All right, so there you go. That 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 gets you all caught up with uh, the goings-on of, of the X-Men universe at this juncture. Yep. Whew. And uh, next, next week we'll be back to normalcy. So stay tuned for that, and until next time... The Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 